Damn it! I guess I'm the host. I keep forgetting. Okay, Twig 221. We have. Oh, Seaford's out, but we have Laura. We have Ethan back Hello. from wherever he's Hi, been. Hi, Ethan. Um, I'm the backup host. Philip, I, I only show up if someone's missing. That's where I've been. I've been living my life. Philip is a. <laughs> Philip constantly is, is leveling up this podcast, and, and we will see some evidence of that today. So Philip is with us. Good, for, good, 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 good. Um, that's it. What are we talking about today? We're going to, again, talk about <laughs> the latest and greatest on the Activision merger, uh, but we'll make it as quick as possible because I'm getting a little bit tired of talking about it. Uh, we're going to talk about the PSVR 2 early reviews and... Uh, expectations, uh, limit breaks, uh, burning of six, six and a half to seven million dollars uh, on the Super Bowl. Recycling. And, you know, a few other topics. Yeah, a few other topics that we're going to speak about. Um, this is more like a a ton of little updates instead of like any like big articles. Oh, and the other one is the Supercell um, newsletter. You know, the uh, every time Ilka writes these letters, it's like Fucking Moses and the uh, in the commandments coming down from the mountain or something. But uh, anyway, he has a little bit of a capitulation to some degree, kind of talking about what we've been talking about for a while about these about Supercell. Um, uh, the first thing I want to do is do a quick correction. So Eric Wood uh, taking over publishing at Scopely. Uh, first of all, Eric Wood himself reached out and said, "Thanks for not dunking on me." Uh, well, you're welcome, <laughs> Mr. Eric. Um, but also, like, he's taking over Mike DeLott's job, which is, if I had thought about it for, like, fucking five seconds, right? I mean, I would have remembered that Mike DeLott, he doesn't do UA and marketing. Um, he basically does uh, biz dev, dealing with platforms and IP partnerships. So that's the job that Mr. Eric is taking over. So thanks, Tim, for the heads up there. And, and Eric, I'm not dunking on you yet. Just be careful out there. Um, other than that, I don't have any other updates. Anybody have any updates to talk about? Well, oh, I guess we're promoting. Yeah, we've got we a, a lot big to conference promote. coming up. Yeah. Two. Go. All right, I'll go. So we have the Deconstructor Fun Conference in Istanbul, March 9th. Signups are live. You can go find them on our website. I'll be doing a panel on the market today. Um, Cress, what, which, which session are you leading? Oh, I'm doing the keynote, ah. like the state of the state. Is the keynote um, called Mice so Nuts? Be... <laughs> Mice Nuts <laughs> so and I'll... Other Problems? I'll be... <laughs> I'll be giving my profound insights uh, during the keynote to talk about where we are and where we're headed um, and uh, be there, be square. You can either sign up to attend, but you also have to register in order to uh, see the videos of, of the event. So please register now. Um, I have finally some uh, uh, ready to announce our GDC collaboration event as well. So I'm super excited about that. So for those who can't make it to Istanbul, but are making it to San Francisco, um, I'm able to announce the Deconstructor Fun, Exola and Mattel uh, game night that we're doing Tuesday night at the conference. So um this is super exciting. A few months ago, uh, the podcast was just me and Seifert, and we did a long segment. Actually, we were talking about conferences, drinking culture, and really like wondering why every industry party had to be a mock frat party. I guess like now that I'm 
a parent and older and the hangovers are more painful, I'm less interested in going and traveling and being just drunk for a week. So, um, but really given all the positive changes in the industry, uh, to make it a safer and more inclusive space, we were just talking about like, shouldn't there be something that a bunch of nerds can do other than drink in a loud nightclub to network and get to know each other? Um, and much to my surprise and delight, uh, Chris Hewish at Exola and Mike Delit. How do you pronounce his last name? Uh, uh, Chris, I've never met the man before. Mike Delit. Who? Mike, Mike Delot. Sorry, Mike. Uh, Mike Delot at Mattel uh, heard that episode and they just ran with it. And so now we're doing Exola Game Night, which is uh, a collaboration between the three groups and an official uh, uh, GDC event. So it's Tuesday night, March 21st. Mattel's providing games like Uno, Phase 10, Skippo, Apples to Apples, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Pictionary, and more. Uh, there's going to be a Hot Wheels Spiral Speed Crash track set set up that's going to bring out Hell your yes. child for sure. Yeah, no, seriously. Like, it's going to be really fun. Uh, food, non-alcoholic beverages, chill times, hang out, meet your colleagues, uh, get to know people over a game of Skippo or uh, 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 Apples to Apples. So, um it's at Moscone Center, so it's a, a GDC pass holder event, uh, Tuesday the 21st from 6 to 8. Uh, for full event details and to register, go to events.exola.com slash GDC game night. I'll be posting that link in the Slack. Um, and also, join the Deconstructor Fun Slack. Uh, there's uh, uh, We're running a, a WhatsApp group for GDC hangouts and meetups, and I'm running a poll I'm probably going to throw like, I know I just said there should be non-drinking events, but I think there'll probably be also a deconstructor fun like bar hangout as well. So uh, join the Slack. There's never been a better time if you're headed to the conference. And uh, come see my talks on Tuesday as well. I'm doing a live uh, uh, deconstructor fun interview of uh, Joe Franks of uh, GameFam talking all about Roblox economics. Oh, that's cool. I like Joe. He's a really good guy. Um I will be there at the uh, Exola event, um, and I will also be at a uh, special dinner for uh, App Annie on, on Monday night, I believe, uh, doing a panel there. So that's what I'll be doing. And of course, now I haven't been drinking for a week. I just checked 480 days. Yeah. So, so this <laughs> Exola right game alley, is just right? for you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I won't get myself into trouble. <laughs> Anything else, guys? Oh, I'm in Hawaii this month. If you were a game developer, reach out to me. I'd love to build this trip as a business expense. Which, uh, which island consulting. are you on? I, I can be whatever island it? anyone Dude, needs me we, we do not defraud the IRS on the podcast, no, Mr. Yeah, Phillip. I'm trying to provide okay? I, I know you haven't been here long enough. And I, I'm in Sweden. <laughs> I don't want to play by your rules. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's do some quick updates. Who's first? I think Laura? I'm first. So, okay, so super quick Microsoft update. Yes, because we have been, we've been tracking it a lot, so it comes up a lot. So Brad Smith, president, uh, sought to is in the EU right now trying to convince them at a closed hearing that the $69 billion bid for Call of Duty maker Activision will boost competition. And the hope is that if they can convince the EU, the US and UK will follow suit. So we have not heard, I have not heard anything yet. And this was, this happened yesterday. 
Second and probably related, but a separate article went out talking about how Microsoft has signed an agreement with Nintendo to provide Call of Duty for sale on their platform for the next 10 years. So Call of Duty is probably coming to all, all consoles, Switch, whatever whatever they come out with, so hopefully in the next couple of years. And I believe this is Microsoft's attempt to show regulators by making concessions in the console space uh, that they can that they can share. That's how in my head, that's how I keep phrasing it. No, we can share. No, we we keep our promises. We won't it'll we won't reduce the amount of competition. It's going to be okay. Um, and then I think Eric, you added one other point here as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there was also an announcement from Nvidia that Microsoft will include its its content on the GeForce Now, um, which is never mind. Um, <laughs> so, and then also the Valve is hiring legal counsel to appear uh, in the FTC Microsoft merger case. They're basically going to hire legal counsel to go, to vote against this transaction. So the fucking PR machines are running wild right now in terms of getting last ditch efforts to get this shit done. My, my sources and my investors are basically saying that this deal is dead, basically, pretty much. It's pretty much over, over, over. These are like the last ditch efforts to, uh, to try to make a case uh, for it. But I want to just want to make one quote, think clear. And, and, and I, 100% clear on this. I know I've said this before on the podcast. Nintendo has not had a Call of Duty for a decade. A decade. And that game sold like 500,000 units. Okay? No one gives a shit about Call of Duty on those crappy devices. It will. Well, and fundamentally, it won't was that work Wii U? on the Switch. Was the last one? No. I think oh, yeah, the last right. one it was, was Wii U. Wii U was so one. is it? It was. 10 years ago. And the Switch is incapable of running Call of Duty, full stop, like full fucking stop. There's no way Call of Duty can run in equal parity with PlayStation and Xbox. So this is all vaporware nonsense, okay? And then the new device that, my, that Nintendo's coming out with likely still will not be the preferable device to run Call of Duty in terms of frame rate and and uh, lag and all the other things that make Call of Duty great. So this so why is not, absolute bullshit. Why not port bullshit. Call of Duty Mobile then? to switch why, why go for well that would not be that would not be feature yeah. parody which is what more, they said uh, okay. more press release. more likely or what what they've done in the past if if memory possible, though, serves is they have a second studio doing a completely different skew right but that's not what they said they, that's not what they the way they positioned it because that would not help them in the case that would not help them in this case. That's the whole thing. That's why it's all bullshit, right? They said that the the, the, the game would be at parity with the existing game for both PlayStation and Xbox, which is just un impossible, impossible. So, yeah, whatever. So, Eric, Nonsense. to get this through, right, what else why got? can't they just sign a deal with the EU saying that we're going to bring Call of Duty to both of the other platforms? I mean, they've been trying to do this with the firms themselves, but why can't they do this through the EU? I mean, doesn't that make this all go away? Like, what else is there besides Call of Duty no. that's holding us up? Like, why not just take oh, away their argument? So, I mean, it's so all so away, right? So, so I don't understand why they have to negotiate yeah, with the Sony. Just negotiate with the EU, <laughs> you know? Like, why do they have to go to Sony? No, it's also, but it's the UK. So the Sony is basically objecting to it. They're the ones, Sony was, evidently, I've been told, the Sony was the one that actually stopped this deal in its tracks. So they are they are representing themselves against this merger in the UK and EU, and they are going to be part of the, the they are going to basically stop this. 
from happening in the UK is probably what's what is what is happening. And so what I heard was that the UK is actually using Sony um, as as a input into what they are doing. And if that's the case, Sony's never ever going to agree to this merger. And for good reason, as I've stated many times and I've written in my... But, but Sony's not a member of the regulatory they board. Think... They don't need to agree to anything. It's the EU and the UK that need to agree to this. It's... So why not make a deal with the regulators rather than Sony? Like this is... I, why go to Sony? Like they're no, being the regulators... <laughs> I just... I just... I just... Why are you asking the same question? I just told you the regulators are using Sony to fight Microsoft. So you, you, this right? is all politics. They're the ones... It's all politics, right? But it's a good result for the customer, consumer, generally speaking, I think. That's my opinion, of course. So it's good, good news that the system is working, right? These big conglomerates are not going to come destroy gaming, right? Um, but anyway, all right. Uh, anything else? Uh, not on this one specifically, but then a, a brief follow-up on last week's Blizzard update. Um, so... Yes, last uh, yesterday, last week, I talked a little bit about Blizzard's um, or Activision's rather. There was an article that was kind of a leak talking about their return to office plans, a lot of unanswered questions. There were a lot of follow ups this past week um, clarifying a couple of things. Uh, and the part I want to cover is just tying up those loose ends. So remote, they've clarified that the roles were hired, that were hired remotely can stay remote, because that was kind of a question. If you hire these people, you're forcing them back. They're not near an office. There was not indication they were going to pay for relocation. There are a lot of things. So it sounds like um, Activision Blizzard has tied up those loose ends. Um, The articles that I read, the coverage expands beyond the return to office. It's it is, they're, they're lengthy. Um, I'm not going to comment on the rest of it um, as it's long. And I mean, it covers a whole breadth of top topics beyond the uh, remote versus uh, in, in office. So if anyone else wants to dive in, feel free. I, I will dive, but I'll let, I'll <laughs> let Chris t- answer first. I, you know, for me, this is, seems like a very simple equation, right? It's only a matter of time, right? Before people start enforcing working from the office, you know, maybe some positions stay fully remote, but I just think that becomes the minority over time. You know, for some reason, this feels like a third rail issue, which it really shouldn't, right? People are social beings. Work is part of the social fabric. Not sure you can change generations of social interaction because of a two year pandemic. You know, it's like, well, I mean, what exactly are we talking about here, right? Like this is the way business has been done for hundreds of years, right? Do you think it just changes because of some, you know, big, you know, pandemic event? So I don't know. I, it's, I, I always thought it was only a matter of time. I, I was actually surprised it didn't happen sooner, right, frankly. Um, but Ethan, I think, is a complete opposite. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'll respond I, to the game. I read the game developer article, and it sounded like there was kind of an all-hands or a staff meeting where they were talking about return-to-work policies as well as a 58% cut of the bonus program pool and some other related topics. And... There was a real subtext um, to the to what was stated, which was, if you want to work here, you'll return to the office. If not, you can leave this job. Uh, also, everyone is getting their bonus cut. It's not just rank and file. It's executives, too. Everyone is experiencing suffering. Sorry, the world is going through a downturn and people are getting laid off. This is economics. This is business. And like the the messaging that was relayed via the the article 
right? It did feel a bit tone deaf. I mean, I started my career as that QA tester working 80 to 100 hour weeks, sometimes making legally triple, like double overtime because of the number of hours on my $12 an hour job. So like I can empathize with being that person and hearing an executive who by all statistical measures is rich, right? They may not feel rich in their day-to-day lives, but statistically they are rich. And if they're like, everybody got their, you know, bonus cut. Uh, If you think execs aren't hurting, you know, you're living in, in a myth, right? Like that is really tone deaf when there's a great disparity between you and the people you're communicating that message to in terms of what your overall salary package look like. So, um, but, but I do have to say that unfortunately this messaging, right? Like, uh, is the way of the world. Like capitalism isn't kind, it isn't friendly, And markets might create efficiencies and balance things out along the way, but that balancing process uh, can cause a lot of pain on individuals, right? So that balancing, if we look at the balancing of like the market for talent, you have a company like Bungie, which is embracing fully remote. Uh, You have many startups that are embracing, I'm trying to build a fully remote company. I ran a fully remote team uh, before spread across like five different countries. Um, Blizzard. Uh, so in 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 the marketplace for talent, as opposed to those types of uh, of companies, Blizzard is forcing a return to pre-pandemic policies, and I know it'll cause a lot of pain to individuals um, who choose to leave. This is not a very good job market to be leaving your job at Blizzard and finding a new job in. Um, but uh, Blizzard, as a corporation, is making a bet that people working together in a single location will produce. Uh, better quality results than what they've seen over the past two years with remote work. And, you know, I'm like recording this in a tiny closet in suburban Charleston. So clearly I, I disagree, but also I haven't made games on the scale uh, that these are even, even my biggest team uh, was pretty small uh, relative to, you know, most blizzard projects, but um, you know, in the, in the market, place for employment. Many people are laid off. Many people are looking for work. And from the business's perspective, they're betting that they'll be able to fill the gaps of anybody who rage quits um, because of this new policy. Um, In effect, you know, they're betting that they'll be able to fill all the openings that result from people who are unhappy with these changes. And they probably will. And Blizzard will go on and their products will live on and, and they'll keep making new things. And doing live support. And it's just, it's going to suck for individuals along the way. I should probably just let this go, (laughs) but I won't, you know, I I don't think capitalism's goal is, is to inflict pain. I think it's to create efficiencies, right? Clearly these people think that it's more efficient to build a product with people in the office than it is to build it remotely. And I think that's their bet, right? Fundamentally the policies you know, reacting to the pandemic adjusted the workplace temporarily in a way that I think a lot of people feel is not efficient at all, right? Fully remote. So now they have policies, these policies have expired. They're reverting back to the method that's managing workforce for the last hundreds of years, right? So it's like, I mean, that's what's happening, right? And And I would argue, and this is, that that that's what I think they're thinking. My, I would argue that you know, in a creative business and collaboration and innovation are the goal. A hybrid approach is probably the most 
beneficial, right? Some kind of hybrid working from home sometime and working from the office like would likely be the best option. I think that's exactly what they're they're proposing in this in this situation, right? So yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's that. I don't think they're trying to like you know harm oh, their employees. I, no, I, I think they're just trying to get back back to back to the way they that's, were. Yeah, you know, that, that's not some, what it, we're we're in agreement there. I wasn't saying that right. capitalism tries to hurt people. I'm saying that the effect of markets balancing and the creation of inefficiencies or the creation of efficiencies is people get hurt along the way. And so somebody who uh, doesn't have a 90 minute commute twice a day and is now looking at, oh, shoot, I either have to move, which is expensive, or I have to eat this commute or I have to find a new job like that. I'm, that causes pain on an individual's life. And, and my point is, yes, that sucks. All the people who are going to experience hardship as a result of this, it, it sucks, but that is, that's capitalism. And so I think this was a message that was, it sounds like it was delivered in a, in not the best way, although there's no best way to, you know, deliver this sort of message. But I, I kind of like, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with what Blizzard is doing in terms of its policies. And uh, if if it's not able to hire people to come into the office in Irvine, then maybe it'll change policies again. We'll see. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games, or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them, they know their data. Head to appsflyer.com slash benchmarks now for more info. Kind of jumping on what Ethan just said, it's an approach which makes the next article super interesting because uh, Supercell, specifically Ilka, released his annual um, his annual blog update that is timed when his financial reporting goes out. Uh, and he actually touches also on remote working and takes the other standpoint. 
but I'll, I'll just highlight the the parts of this blog post that were super interesting. Um, and I actually, I really liked that he did this and I know he does this every year, but uh, kind of reading it given everything that's going on was, was kind of a breath of fresh air. Okay. So summary, he basically reviewed the mission approach, did a little summary on, um, they were, they have five, they've launched five hit games. They've killed more than 30. Um, they haven't launched, he acknowledged that they haven't launched a game, new, new game globally since Brawl Stars, which went live in 2018. Uh, it's been, it's been a bit of time since they've had another global launch. Um, and then a, a couple acknowledgements of repeating success is harder, not easier once you have more to lose. And I find this is true. We can see this across all kind of the, the big players, um, especially in mobile. It is, it is, I don't think anyone's discovered the secret to making a successful game, which he also calls out. He's taken away some learnings about how to approach new games versus live games. Um, I think this was a great acknowledgement of they're they're kind of famous for the smaller team sizes, and he did a hard hard look at maybe this this isn't what's going to work for might work for live games, even though it's kind of what's worked very well for them for smaller games. Um, interesting, he ponders whether mobile is limiting and can draw, and whether Supercell can draw uh, inspiration from everywhere and anywhere innovation is happening. So maybe hinting at moving beyond mobile. He talks also about remote work which again is contrary to what we're seeing from big tech and Activision. They're looking at supporting remote work, supporting hybrid. Uh, they're currently focused on this in the North American studios, which are fully remote. In Helsinki, I think, I believe that they are mostly in office from, uh, from reading this, but they're looking towards moving in the direction of what seems to be hybrid as well. And in fact, it's a quote, starting this month, the first fully remote positions in some of our teams will open up where it is possible to be fully remote from certain European countries. They're also, another change is they're open to younger talent. Uh, famously, Supercell has wanted people with 10 to 20 years experience. This is also a new change. Um, and what I hear from a lot of successful teams is, this, this is called out, um, is him wanting people and companies um, wanting a fresh perspective. So I, a lot of these changes, I think, come from the place of recognizing you might need something, a, a viewpoint that maybe you hadn't considered as, as valuable as it could have been before that you now want to be open to. So I think this was, this was very, very, I think this was very interesting. And then high level uh, for revenue, the <laughs> revenue was uh, 1.77 billion, uh, a little bit, 6% uh, as compared, 6% less compared to last year. Their EBITDA uh, was 14% uh, lower than last year. Um, and their notes for kind of the, the not year on year growth was the mobile games market has declined, IDFA. Uh, there two of, some of their games were removed from most of their games. All of their games were removed from Russia and Belarus and their EBITDA decreased due to investments in the company's future. I mean, I really liked reading this. I thought it was helpful, and I liked, I liked the pivots that they're making. Seems to be thoughts. This was huge. This this was huge. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this a couple casts ago, but there's a sense in which all of us want Supercell to succeed. The idea of a small group of people coming together to create something beautiful is, I think, a dream all of us have. And you know, no bureaucracy, no nonsense. You know, just creating and crafting something beautiful. 
This is a damning admission that the supercell model doesn't work. I actually think this was an extremely bold post for supercell to come out and to claim. And again, anytime we talk about supercell, you know, you're going from Mount Everest to Mount Kilimanjaro. It's, you know, they're operating at a different level, especially when you look at revenue per head. But all of the arrows have been trending downward. It looks like things are not getting better. In fact, they're, they're getting worse. And so what do you do? Um, you know, Keynes once said, when the facts change, I change. What do you do, sir? And I have to give credit to Supercell here. Like they're making a big admission that the Supercell model does not work at scale. And I think the post kind of confuses a lot of the causation when it comes to, for instance, expanding the pool of labor, because that to me is ultimately why they're making changes to remote work and loosening the experience requirement is that if they want to operate at scale, they need more labor. And to get more labor, I think they had to loosen up those things. Helsinki, you know, Mishka is not on the podcast, but Helsinki is a tough place to be. It's a tough place to live. It certainly is not Stockholm. And so I think that's been a barrier to entry. And of course, trying to find people 10 to 20 years of experience is another barrier to entry. But this idea they're going to start to scale up teams is an admission that the supercell model doesn't work, or at the very least, the supercell model doesn't work when you're trying to live operate a game. And so I think the next question I would have for supercell is how do you take that model at scale? Like, what does it mean to operate a supercell at, you know, 100 people? Can it even be a supercell? anymore? Is it a mega sell? Um, and how do you do that effectively? To me is the next 10 years of supercell is going to have to answer that question like for a, us. Oh my God. They should what spin you, off. Look at, look at, look at, you, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Look, <laughs> look at, look at Philip, dude. He's like, he's like quoting quick canes over here, dude, dude, you're, dude, this is off brand. Right? Well, this is you know, maybe you're here to help level it's, us it's up. Game economist consultant. Make it, make it stop. I, what, oh my Lord. How, how, what do you mean this I have to take issue with, what do you mean the supercell model doesn't work at scale? They did $1.77 billion of revenue. How is that not scale, right? Like, so, what What so the like, fuck are you talking about, Phil? So, so, They're not so, so, big enough. They haven't been able to make a $6 billion franchise. Do you know how hard it is to make a single game that makes as much money in its lifetimes as they paid in fucking taxes? It is impossible. This is, what are you talking about? An admission of failure. Like, it's like the, what, to go what do you to think, like economic what, what you, shit. Like, so I, I what do you think about Ilka's? What is Ilka saying what? then? Like, is he's, Ilka saying that things are all no, good? He's at saying, no, like, I'm sorry. Happy? I, he's saying we need to change our strategy. To get to the why? next level. You just said, why would they no. change strategy well, if they're making $1.7 billion I, I'll, and I'll, hundreds of I'll millions of I'll tell of you exactly why. So operating a live game is very hard. It takes a lot of people and a lot of work, and it just fucking never ends to run event after event, week after week, with new content, new features, new bug fixes, fixing tech debt. So like the thing I think, you know, Saying that keeping our team small in live ops isn't working is smart. I'm just saying that's not a failure. They're just saying, oh, to to keep our people from burning out, we need more people on these teams, right? So uh, creating that's not a super using, cell anymore, though. What? I mean, this is the well, whole live, point. Is they the, have small live teams. operations? Live operations is a very different phase of life than zero to one. Right. right. And that's the zero to one here. is where the supercell methodology works. Killing 30 games to find $5 billion franchises 
that works and that works with the supercell and you just have to be patient because there's no predicting you're when the next me, billion dollar game you're, what? you're, you're making my, yeah, you, i know you you're, you're making you're, <laughs> you're contradicting yourself when you no. try to scale a game you need more labor to no make this stuff no, no 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 we've been in, no. we've been in a live you, ops world for like 10 you, years you use the cell to go zero to one once you are sure. scaling once you are maintaining a game you need more people. It's a different mega scale. What? The mega, mega scale, maybe. <laughs> so you yeah, just it, like literally they cell. they need to hire more people just so they don't burn out the people on the live ops team, right? That is that's just common sense. If you've been on one of these live op teams, it is fucking grueling it, to do it. Right. I'm not I'm not disagreeing. I, okay, I'm not disagreeing right. with the choice. That makes sense to yeah. me. I think the question is, is how do you maintain what Supercell has been when you grow these teams in terms of size and scale? Because when you start to grow organizations, bureaucracy happens. You have people that you have to report to. When you start to loosen up the experience, people need more guidance, they need managers. So when you start to add on all these additional layers, the culture starts to change. And so this is the challenge Supercell is going to have is when you start to scale up these game teams to, let's say, 100, 200 people, whatever it may be, how do you maintain that culture of autonomy at scale? I think is going to be extremely challenging for them. And especially if you're going to be so, in remote yeah, okay. locations. Been, sorry, I, I, Phil, Phil hasn't been around long enough, but we've been talking about this every time this article, this this letter comes out. We have I have the same commentary, right? The Supercell model works for Supercell. It's not something to be to be molted on somewhere else because it's it's not it's not scalable in in the way that that Supercell has made it scalable, right? And so I think personally, he's finally capitulating to the fact that. That model no longer works in this in the in the in the new world order, right? To some and, and, and again, well, hold up, hold up. This is a here, measured. The claim. biggest. Hold on. Let me just. What? This is again. This is a measured claim. Like I'm I'm with Ethan that the supercell model works in a small incubation period when you're trying to yeah, get a game off well, software. But that's again. It, there's nuance here that's important. But if. Yeah, but if you want to grow and continue to grow, you have to expand. You have to expand outside of that. And then it doesn't become Supercell anymore, yeah. right? It's what, it's what kind of what you're saying, right? It becomes Megacell. Let's, I don't know, make up some other stupid name, right? But the fundamental thing here, this is the big capitulation in my book anyway, is that building external studios is part of their strategy now and hiring younger talent, right? That That is a big change to their philosophy, right? Because even building a studio in freaking Spain compared to Helsinki is, is, is Herculean, I think, for these guys, right, to, to do this, right? So I don't know. But I've been saying this forever, right? I, I don't know. I You know, they haven't been growing since 2015. You know, 2021 was an amazing year because of COVID, right? But they, they've been on the decline since then, right? It's It's been like this thing. So every time, you know, he comes out with these newsletters, it's like, well, what the hell's going on? What are you guys doing differently? And now they're finally actually acknowledging that they have to do something differently, right? take profits, invest in growth, build teams, buy teams, whatever they're going to do in order to expand and, and continue to grow, build live ops, et cetera. Like it's interesting and it's exciting, right? But I will say this fundamentally, I, I do believe that Supercell is in a very envious position, right? They have one of the strongest bands in mobile gaming, period. End of sentence, right? You know, better than Rovio, better than anybody, right? In terms of like the type of uh, IP that they have. They have a great art style that has universal appeal no matter what. Um, um, but I think in the new world order where UA is no longer an option, really, they have to figure out how to build games that attract the largest audiences possible 
and build very strong monetization design and live op design and to, to maintain and attract the whales, right? And I think the biggest challenge they're going to have of going outside of Helsinki and, and doing new things is to maintain the same quality bar they've had since their inception, right? And this is a really interesting time to be part of Supercell because I think, you know, they will, in theory, be doing things differently and hope give up the yoke of control out of Helsinki. You know, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. All right. Moving on. Super, super quick update. Um, and this is entirely selfish. Telltale raises $8 million to market a new Expanse game. The only reason I'm bringing this up is um, this is the first game using the Expanse IP. Uh, I, I searched. They don't. It hasn't exist yet. It started as a book series, became a TV series on sci-fi. Now it's, it's on Amazon I, I Prime. I think it started as a Dungeons & Dragons game. Seriously, yeah, I didn't know started, that. I, I heard that it started as a tabletop campaign that was turned into a book, huh. then a TV series. Oh, I'm going to have to fact check that while you continue doing the story. Hold on. Please fact check that. Uh, actually, that that foots, that really does foot, though, I'll be honest. Because um, like an origin story type thing. That'd be great. I, I, mean, I would love that as if that were if that were true. That'd be that'd be fascinating. Um this series has a bit of a cult following. I'm part of that cult. Um, it's a great story and worlds, and I'm just I'm rooting for these guys to release a great game because I think that is um, an amazing it is amazing story, and I want to keep it super quick um, because again, this is more of a yay a game since <laughs> using this fun Seriously, idea. I dude, I I am a sci-fi addict, and I tried to watch Expanse and. I just couldn't get into it. I don't know what it was. It was just too much, uh, too dark, I think, maybe. It took me but... two attempts on season one. And then I, yeah, uh, the sec, because it was, there's a lot of politics behind the uh, the sci fi. And um, yeah, then I read yeah, every yeah, book yeah. and I've seen the series probably back end to end three times. Jesus. So I, big fan. <laughs> so this is, this is getting some nerd. This is what I found getting on Getting some nerd on, cred on out there, Laura. I found it's just, uh, somebody posted the expanse famously started as the setting for a tabletop RPG like Dungeons and Dragons that one of the authors was designing for his friends. Right. Like that was where it started. Cool. Um, and uh, just uh, to my fellow sci-fi fans plug for the peripheral on Amazon. Oh, I yeah, love yeah. William that Gibson is one of my favorite authors. And I just started watching last night. I try, I had to describe it to my wife and I was like, William Gibson writes dirty sci-fi. It's not like a future that is bright and optimistic, but it's like near future and where things are shitty and dirty, just like they are in real life. It's really great. Uh, I, I He's my favorite. So it's a great show if you like uh, dirty sci-fi. Does he have any other series besides well, that? This is, this is the first one of his books to be turned into a series. Um, Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, was a short story of oh, okay, his. Okay. He's Got famous it, yeah. for coining the term uh, neuromance, uh, uh, cyberspace, uh, from his book Neuromancer. Because uh, if you watch, if you watch cyberpunk edge runners, that they a, a lot of that world building is kind of lifted from William Gibson and, and Philip K. Dick and the type of writing they do. So, uh, any anything cyberpunk has his has his fingerprints on it. This is what people come for. Long diversions about William Gibson. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. 
and Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fun really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle, and it helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales or go to the link in the podcast description below. Speaking of the future, let's talk about PSVR 2, <laughs> which will not actually be a reasonable good product until long in the future. Probably when I'm 70, you know, uh, then VR is going to be a, a viable platform at this, at this rate anyway. Um, all right, PSVR came out, or it is coming out today, uh, February 22nd, for $550, right? There are 13 games available at launch, all of which, except for one, are part of other systems. Um, the Ryzen Call of the Mountain is probably the best experience and the only exclusive that is coming in the near future. Um for, for the record, the PSVR 2 is an amazing piece of kit. Like, there's just no doubt that these guys at Sony know what they're doing in terms of building the kit. Higher resolution, better screen than meta, eye tracking, haptic feedback, very lightweight, pass-through camera. I mean, like, it's like the bee's knees of <laughs> VR devices, all right? Uh, they also, it's tethered to the PS5, so obviously PS5 is required. So um, it's tethered, so the, the issues around battery life and, and all that stuff is kind of resolves itself and, and uh, it should work pretty well as, as a device. Um, but let, let me just start with the obvious clearly here, right? $150 more than the base system that requires to run it. 
uh, let me rephrase. It costs 40% more than the base system and almost two times the investment to get into VR, right? Uh, all the games can be played elsewhere except for one, right? And, and there's nothing innovative at all, really, about the, the device or the, the software that's come with it. So this is not really how you release a platform, full stop. It is basically how you release a, per a peripheral and that will never sell, basically, because there's no reason to own this thing unless you're super into VR and you're super into PlayStation. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, content is king. And as long as people are not making content that's compelling for these devices, they're not going to sell. You know, again, cart before the horse, or this is like cart before the tree sloth, right? Like there's 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 nothing here to entice people to get into the game into the business into the vr system at all um not only is there no content right there are no teams that are building content right now for this device like there are no independent third-party teams that i'm aware of correct me if i'm wrong here um at what is it feedback at deconstructorofun.com um mail, like mail at deconstructorofun.com <laughs> sorry mail at deconstructorofun um Likely, they spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars developing the hardware for this platform without spending the same amount of money on building software, right? And this is why this thing will these things will continue to fail, right? Over and over and over again. And now we're starting to see evidence um, of, of Facebook starting to pull back on spend there. So, like, they're the only ones that are actually building content for VR at this point, more or less. Um, so anyway, VR is never going to take off until the content creators get serious about building content for it. And it's building compelling content that likely is socially social related that can only be in VR that has to be like unique, compelling. Um, otherwise, this is just a peripheral for hardcore VR fans and likely will continue to collect dust under the TV like every other VR platform I, out there. So it's like, it's over before it begins. You know, they just don't have what they need in order to expand the market in any meaningful way. Um, and, and it's just, yeah, I, I, uh, it, it's not yeah, working. I have to Stop say, it. Like, unfortunately my PSVR is just kind of collecting dust in the attic. Um, ever since I moved, it's just, uh, uh, it's something I wish I played more on, but don't, but, uh, since we're generally pretty negative on the prospects of VR game development on the podcast, I know we've got some people in the community and in the Slack group that are developers for PSVR or developers for VR and PSVR specifically. So if you want to uh, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, I think I should do like a spotlight interview on someone who's got one of these PSVR launch games or is all in on, on VR development to come defend yourself. Um, cause I just saw, be clear, what? There, there are no launch games. Like there are no launch games there. There's one game from my, from Sony that is a exclusive launch well, game. That's, period. I mean, the same is true with the release of the PlayStation five. Godfall was the only new game that wasn't just an upscale of a PS4 game released at launch and PS five's done fine over time. Oh my God. You are really going to compare <laughs> the PS five. Dude. I'm just. Are we? Are we in a different? I'm just saying it's the same universe? launch playbook. 
uh, uh, upscale a bunch of games or port a bunch of games and make one new one. Dude, you have 140 million people that have bought a PlayStation or Xbox that you're selling into, right? right? You have like nobody that you're selling this VR device into. You know, like, what are you talking about? Let's, if if uh, if you would like to come on the podcast and and defend your choice to develop for PlayStation VR two, uh, reach out on LinkedIn or on the Deconstructor Fun Slack. I actually think there's, and if you are actually create creating some kind of social game that is interesting, I would be interested to hear about it that takes advantage of VR specifically. Well, to that point, one of the things we keep talking about is the lack of content in VR, and I, I would go one step further and say there hasn't been really a live service game. You know, we had some information from Meta on the sales to DAU ratio of the Meta Quest is incredibly damning. They're moving units. They're actually moving, you know, a decent number of these Meta Quest units. But in terms of DAU of those units, it's incredibly low as a share. And so it's not just... I heard 10%. Yeah, it's low. 10% of the install base. Less than 10% of the install base are active on a, on a monthly basis. Dude, that is freaking terrible. Awful. Like that is as bad, as bad, as bad, as bad as it gets, you know? I mean, I don't know what it is for my, Microsoft and Sony, but I imagine it's somewhere in the in the 70s. But we've seen 60, content, we, we've, we've seen good, active. We've seen good content, right? We've seen VR-only experiences. The problem is that they're not live service games, and you need players going back over and over again to the VR headset to make sure that you maintain those MAU or DAUs. So that, to me, is something that I would love to see is where are the live service VR games? And if they can't exist for some reason, that, to me, is a damning condemnation of the hardware if it think, isn't comfortable uh, v- or usable vr chat and rec room are probably the two best exa- and and kind of what that points to is like young people hanging out in vr is the most proven engaging thing no i'm i'm not even i'm not even going to capitulate to that i'll I, be honest i just i, I think I don't think you're wrong in terms of what is possible. I'm saying Rec Room and, and whatever the other one was. I, I doubt you can make the argument that, that people stick around with those games either, right? I, I don't I, think... I'm just saying it's... If only 10% of, 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 of devices are being used on a regular basis, that means that they, they can't have the engagement that is interesting from on those platforms. But anyway, but I do think the po- the potential is there. I just don't think that they're doing it. All right, until next week... Um, have a good one. Stay out of trouble. Um, everyone here next week? Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, and sign up for the Deconstructor of Fun um, event in Istanbul. And Exola Game Night at GDC. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.